0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Ryan Robinson, founder and blogger of RyRob.com. In this episode, we talked about how Ryan conducts revenue generating keyword research, why revenue is his number one content metric to track, and how he helps companies with their overall content strategy. We also discussed how Ryan tracks and measures results for his customers, how he uses content marketing as an educational tool to fuel long term growth, his content generation process, and easy content production hacks you can apply in your own business. And here's today's episode. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Ryan is a pro blogger and content marketing guru. Uh, he teaches over 500,000 monthly readers how to start and grow a profitable side business on his blog, uh, RyRob, like dot com. He famously built up a side hustle to over $160,000 in less than one year while working a full-time job. He's also the host of the Side Hustle Project podcast and has worked with clients such as LinkedIn, Zendesk, QuickBooks, and more to help them grow their content marketing. So he's here today to talk to us about how content can be leveraged to increase retention and grow customer advocacy. And my first question for you, Ryan, is now that you're fo- focused full-time on your podcast and your blog, like, what is your side hustle?
1: <laughs> well, this is the first time I'd say in possibly my life at least my professional life that i really don't have a real side hustle that i'm dedicating like regular scheduled time to because i'm so like so diligent about my schedule and putting 3 hours a day into a side project usually but we're we're in 2020 which has been a very weird year so yeah. i've paused side hustles which is weird i have i do have one other side blog that i run with a friend of mine it's called smart wp dot com. And it's basically just WordPress tutorials, a lot more of the technical stuff related to blogging, whereas I don't get too deep on my own site about the technical tutorials and walkthroughs. So it's a destination for me to just uh, plant the seeds of growth for a different type of content that's still related to what I talk about, but serves a little more technical of an audience. So that's my at least occasional side project. It's not as diligent as I would like to be.
0: Nice. And I mentioned in the intro, you've helped a lot of people get kicked off and get started in content. And I'm interested like, from a couple of perspectives. So today, obviously, I think like, content is a super powerful mechanism to help educate and teach like, users and the markets. And we'll talk about why it's relevant, I think, to turn our attention a little bit later. But what does your typical process look like when you w- walk into a company uh, like that to try and help them get started what does a conversation start off like is like we want to start getting into content we want to start producing something of substance what does your process look like working with customers then
1: man i hate to say it but it does really depend on context so where the company is at currently is usually my first line of thought because i want to figure out okay have they ever done content before and if they have What's the state of that? Is there like 50 blog posts on their site already that are just old and not optimized that could be repurposed as kind of acquisition tools rather than just writing a ton of brand new stuff? Because I'll I'll tend to try and prioritize leveraging somehow what a brand has already done to basically do uh, save time and effort. But it does really depend because sometimes I'll walk into a client that has like, A thousand articles on their site, and there's 50 different articles about CRO, and they're all cannibalizing each other, and none of them are ranking well in Google search results because they're all trying to go after the same keywords. So I think the problems are always unique when I step into a client, but typically the thing that I'm working towards with any site, any brand, person who starts a blog, the most important metric to really aim for me is how do I Figure out what readers, customers really want, and come up with content ideas that actually solve those problems. So, I'm always thinking about typically revenue generating keyword ideas at the end of the day. So, what will actually move the needle for a brand? I think there's a lot to be said about content as an education resource, and there's a really good case to be made, I would say, for having like education as a primary goal of your content, but I'm really good at coming up with the right keyword phrases, the right positioning on those keyword phrases for articles that are going to eventually bring in traffic from typically search engines and have that be fairly high converting towards whatever the customer's goal is. Usually that's like free trial sign up or some sort of purchase and event.
0: Yeah, I love that focus. I think in terms of like revenue generating keywords, uh, I think that you mentioned, because typically I think content itself is one of those things that has a longer term horizon to see an ROI, but ultimately can and eventually does surpass a lot of other channels and become super powerful. But what does that process look like? How do you determine what are good keyword uh, generating making assumptions? But are you looking at like AdWords, seeing uh, what sort of campaigns are run, what's converting there? Like, how do you go about investigating and figure out which keywords you want to go after and which ones are going to actually have an ROI and return revenue?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question, too, because it, it does depend so much on the context of where the companies at the moment but just as a starting point i know that in my mind anything i publish is going to take six months to really rank well on the first page and that's ideally if a client company has a very well-established site that's authoritative credible so i know going into it like all right there's a long-term investment gonna to have to put a lot of time and effort into promoting the content also after it goes live but Typically, when I'm thinking about the keyword research process, I will usually look at if there are any major gaps currently for the brand. So what are their competitors talking about on their own site, their landing pages that are for SEO or their blog posts that rank well? What are we missing that they're doing that seems to be doing well? And so I'll, I'll often use a tool like Ahrefs for that. It's my preferred tool for just seeing, all right, what are the best pages on a competitor website and why don't we have those on our site is how I'm thinking. And that's not necessarily to say that you have to imitate everything your competitor is doing, but it's a good starting point to gather some new ideas from. But yeah, typically from there, I'll spend more time in Ahrefs than something like AdWords personally, just because I love how many different facets of the uh, SEO landscape you can learn from Ahrefs. But yeah, I I would say that's my home base of everything. Yeah.
0: And and then how are you measuring this at the end of the day, though, as well? Because I think this is also like one of those things where you really want to be able to measure the effectiveness of content. and because there are multiple benefits in the sense that it's not only one like driving new acquisition, like you have the opportunity to educate, you have opportunity to make sure you have the right positioning. So when it comes to measuring with your customers, what are you typically looking at? What are the metrics you're tracking for them?
1: There are a couple of different metrics. Traffic, I think, tends to be a vanity metric, especially if it's low converting. So yeah. I typically say like within the first few months of one of my client articles being published, one of the metrics I'll track is the number of links that I've acquired for it. So I tend to build into my content marketing work a measure of how much I'm going to promote each article that I publish for you, just because I'm trying to connect what successful SEO content looks like. And backlinks from other credible authoritative sites tend to ladder up towards ranking your own post high in the SERPs. So typically... Traffic is a little vanity, but it's good to see it basically just going up consistently. So I like to keep an eye on that through Google Analytics typically, and then backlinks as a measure of the success we should have soon. And then yeah, starting usually a few months down the line. Sometimes it can be faster for a site like LinkedIn that has a domain rating in the high 90s. They can rank pretty easily for really competitive keywords. So for a site like that, yes, I can start to monitor trial signups or even paid events like with their Linda product, online courses. Revenue is my ultimate like number one metric that I I care the most about because I know that for a client, they care the most about that and they're not going to continue hiring me unless the uh, effort I put in actually drives revenue too. And I can tie it back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, hard. It's not always easy to attribute revenue to an individual article necessarily, but...
0: Yeah. How really do you something- do it though as well? I think obviously like in LinkedIn's case, it's self-explanatory. They have obviously a huge amounts of data <laughs> teams working behind the scenes to get the analytics and data you need, but in maybe some, a smaller company, how are you going about like setting up tracking for this sort of stuff? What are tools you're using to get the metrics you need?
1: I think the most like <laughs> the most relatable, easy, lightweight way to do it is literally just UTM tags. So, in articles that I publish, I'll have. I think about Close, the CRM company, a company I used to work for, and did a lot of content marketing for. We would sometimes use UTM tags in blog posts just to track from all right, someone clicked in this article about sales strategies over to create a free trial. And we logged that UTM tag in the trial up event, which is something I can be tracked in Google Analytics. So that's yeah. probably like the lightest weight way that I've done it. And it's not always perfect. I think some stuff probably falls between the cracks, but it provides yeah. a proxy of if it's working.
0: That's good. Yeah. I think any anytime you're talking about metrics and analytics, like nothing's ever perfect. And if you're just getting good, strong signals, I think that's like good enough for you to keep moving in the right direction. So then I'm interested as well, like another topic when it comes to the content that you produce and the companies that you work with, like You mentioned obviously you've been, you typically focus on revenue uh, generating content, and that's the sweet spot for yourself. But have you ever engaged with customers looking like from purely from an education perspective or purely from a positioning perspective? And what do the content projects then look like uh, when it comes to that?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it comes from a completely different perspective when the client's not is at least primarily interested in revenue generating content. One example is a project management tool called plan.io that I've worked with for years. And I recently handed it off to a friend to take over, but been such a great client because they aren't immediately concerned with every article driving revenue. And basically their goal is to try and rank number one for the the top 50 to 100 keyword phrases that people who are interested in better project management, Google search for. And so their goal is really like the long-term relationship building with customers, potential customers. And so the metric they care about most is actually email signups. So getting people who come to their blog and say, all right, hey, this content's good. Like I'll sign up for their email address to learn more. And then there's a nurturing campaign process that happens where they invite people to do a trial of the product and a certain percentage upgrade to paid eventually, but it's it is interesting because it's a way longer term focus. And I honestly think some, those are some of the best clients I've had because I don't feel under the gun to deliver on conversions right away or revenue right away. And so it's I, I'd say from a relationship perspective, like everything is very smooth and easy, and it is a certain kind of client that can afford to to invest in content that way. Like they have a pretty yeah. sustainable business that grows by word of mouth and some other advertising channels that work really well and are dialed in for them. But content as an education tool is in their mind, a long-term strategy to fuel growth rather than immediately.
0: Immediate. Yeah. Because interestingly, I ask as well as like I noticed at Hotjar when we had people who had visited our blog retention was almost double with blog visitors versus non blog mm-hmm. visitors. And I think it's somewhere intuitive in the sense that they're coming, they're getting educated, they're learning like how to use the tool better or how to get the most out of specific aspects of the product. Uh, and not only that, as well as this discovery phase, like you said, when they're just trying to become better product managers, they discover the product, they understand it better before they go ahead and sign up and start uh, using it. So I, I was interested, have you noticed something similar like with any of the clients that you worked with? Is this something that they've even mentioned or tracked with you, if you have any specific case?
1: To be honest, I haven't tracked that metric specifically, but I would say anecdotally, yes, absolutely. Like People that are regularly on the blog, I can even say from my own blog audience now that I'm blogging full-time, the people that are on my email list who have clicked an email twice in a month are significantly more likely to sign up for my course or purchase a book from me when I do send out emails promoting products I'm releasing. So I think at least anecdotally speaking, I would completely agree with you. I've seen this trend happen with my own stuff and across client work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's definitely an interesting way as well to measure content. I think because typically, like you say, it's really 80 to 90% of the time, it's focused on that acquisition front, like just bringing a new business through the door. But ultimately as well, if you can bring the right business through the door and then help educate and keep them for longer, sometimes it has an even bigger ROI that's, yes, a lot more difficult to measure. But like you say, the example of plan.io, they could be seeing those results like for years to come and they're compounding as well. It's not just about acquiring, even though I think content to extent has got its compounding impacts. Yeah. Because you do it once, and I think then... it's
1: a long-term investment. And like one yeah. another example, even on my own blog, I, I publish a lot of like revenue-focused content or stuff that is designed to get people to join my email list and eventually purchase a course or a book. But I, I try and mix it up where I publish one long-form article every week or two, and I try and publish what I like to call like a listener Q and A, where I'll take a question that someone asked after listening to a podcast episode or a blog comment that they've left. And I have this like a really long scrolling Google doc of questions people have asked that don't necessarily ladder up to some huge keyword opportunity that translates into revenue. But Like I've often had some really profound questions get asked that have a lot of nuance to them. And I, I take the time to answer them in a public post on my blog usually rather than like just privately over email or a tweet. And uh, I find that when I send out emails promoting those kinds of articles that are like not as revenue focused, but maybe tackle a a relatable question that lots of people have, I get the most replies to those emails. So I, I think people like really resonate with whether you're a brand or a person promoting a creator, promoting your own stuff. I think people really resonate to just like a human element to content rather than just lists of all the best hosting companies or like, how to do X, Y, Z every time. I think it's really good to have a mixture of like relatable human stuff coming out in your content too.
0: Absolutely. I'm interested as well though. You mentioned like a few different things now, like the blog, the podcasts, uh, like eBooks, like different products producing. You're one person. What is your like content generating process look like? How are you maximizing time and scale to be able to produce all of this? Yeah
1: yeah this is this is something I'm always iterating on, I'd say, but as of today, the process that I've gotten dialed in with my blog content at least is that I have become more of an editor than a writer of my own content today. It changes as I like go in phases of being interested in doing the deep dive writing. but as of today, I'm usually not from start to finish sitting down and writing a five thousand word article. I have a couple of different writers that I work with who i basically view this as outsourcing a first draft to. And so I'll usually, I will always come up with the keyword phrases that we're going after. I do write the kind of like listener Q&A ones myself always, but for something that has an SEO focused, I'll always pick the keyword phrase, write a couple title drafts, work on them with an outline typically to make sure we're hitting all the right bullet points, do a little competitor research to see if there's anything we're missing and then turn it over to one of my writers and, and they'll typically... Whip up something that's two, three thousand words in length. And then by time I get it back from them in a Google Doc, I then go to work like expanding it, weaving in my own examples, case studies, screenshots, typically filming a video if it's like a high value keyword phrase. I'm trying to get a little more into YouTube these days. Nice. But yeah, I, I end up usually doubling the length of most articles from my freelance writers to when it gets published.
0: That was going to be one, another question. Like, How do you scale the content then? But I think uh, in this case, we'd just be hiring more good writers as yeah. well to do the job. Um, as
1: of today, I, I am still my own bottleneck though, because I am the editor that kind of goes through everything myself. And uh, yeah. I, I'm very aware of that being a kink in how much I publish, but I've decided at least in 2020, <laughs> I'm okay with working a little bit less and not trying to like Really push myself hard to to scale a business beyond what I feel interested in today.
0: Interested today, in, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So definitely the motivation as well this year is uh, probably not where it was. It goes last up and year. down for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing as well, like uh, to ask is that you have the podcast itself. Like one of the things I found interesting as well, and uh, we chatted before the show was Steli from Close. I remember when I was chatting to him about this is he would say that he would record just some thoughts every morning, like voice recording, and then the team would uh, then go ahead and take and build blog posts off of this and do different content and things like that. Are there any other sort of like good hacks that you found to be able to produce content really quick and then be able to sort of ship uh, that content besides this, obviously?
1: Yeah, yeah I have I have done a version of that, stelly Like Stelly does audio recordings a lot, and I've done... I've challenged myself to create content in reverse from how I normally do it. So I'm a writer by trade, I think, and I process best through writing. But I've done a few times now where I just film a YouTube video, basically, and then I upload it to Rev. I have someone transcribe it. And then from the transcription, I will then turn that into a blog post. So I, I do think you can go like in different directions with your content creation process based on what feels most natural to you, but it always turns out way differently when I start with like video first, as opposed to when I take to writing first, my, my thoughts tend to be a little bit more jumbled, I'd say versus like writing. I have a very deliberate process I follow, but yeah, it's interesting to experiment with that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I found it really interesting because I thought it was a great way like to be able just to get your thoughts out really quickly. And I think like you said, for different people works different ways. Uh, Others who might be more like structured, prefer reading, writing, as opposed to like the spoken word. I just find as well, even like with reading, I have like got hooked on audiobooks, like uh, I never used to. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is the way I love to consume this type of content as well. And I even though it's like for myself, personally, like growing up school, like the time I would do really well was the time I actually listened in class. If I had to rely going back <laughs> and few actually times. studying. <laughs> yes, a few times. It just wasn't uh, as always as effective as well. So uh, I think definitely it's this concept of different people resonate to content in different ways and uh, being able to meet those needs, I think of everyone is powerful.
1: Yeah. I think it's an important part of like web accessibility too. Just beyond the like technical accessibility stuff, I think it's really important to offer people different mediums to consume your content. Because as you said, audio is a way that you like to process. Some people process by video, some people process through reading. And I, I think there will continue to be more opportunities for reaching people like even tiktok as an example right one minute of of content some people prefer something really short form as a way to consume and learn so i i think it's only going to keep changing
0: really keep changing yeah I, and I think this is an interesting point though because like more often when you think about okay uh, let's take Uh, your docs like a company's docs for example like they put together these documentation to educate customers and then there'll be this question like what's better should we produce a video series or should we write a blog or do everything like (laughs) the (laughs) different people uh, like obviously you need to pick and choose uh, your battle but like picking between a video over a written form i think ultimately is you can't say one is better than the other because up to that person who's making that decision to say okay this is what I prefer. So, this is what everybody else prefers, but it's never the case. I think there's just, you say, like a lot of different people like to consume your content in different ways. And the more you can yeah. serve that need, uh, the better. Obviously, you need to be, bear in mind your resources and where you want to be focusing. But
1: yeah, I think there's something to be said for leaning into your skills and your interests. That's why I tend to write first, because that's what I'm best at out of all yeah. the different content mediums. But yeah, it does make me think of my like, my freshman year high school English teacher who the very first moment of class, he writes on the board the word truth and he crosses it out. And he's the first lesson of this class is that truth is objective. And no matter how strongly you feel about something, there is another person out there who looks at it completely differently or learns about it completely differently. That's a good lesson, I think. And in terms of content creation. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I love that as well. It's like just being able to be open to other people's perceptions of the world. And yeah, your way is not necessarily the right way, always, or whatever. So I'm going to throw one last question. One question that you, I think that I ask every guest on the show, we'll hear it from your perspective. Let's imagine that you arrive at a new company, you get hired at a new company and you get there, churn retention is not doing great at all. And you've actually been asked uh, by the CEO to try and turn things around for the company. From your perspective, where you're sitting in your role, what would you want to be doing? Like he's given you three months to try and prove and show some results. What would you want to be doing with those first 90 days?
1: I think my very first task would be to figure out if obviously there's a leaking ship Are there any holes that can be plugged with the existing content that we have? It's one thing if the brand doesn't have any content at all, then I'm like, okay, three months, this is going to be a hell of a challenge. But if they have some content that's maybe after the right keyword phrases, but it's not the correct format or it's not more, it's not in depth enough or it doesn't have a video when it should have a video or you never ask someone to sign up for your your free trial within the content. And so everyone eventually exits the page without taking any action. I think there's this kind of a shorthand list of like low-hanging fruit where I would first want to see like, all right, is there anything salvageable here that we already have? And so after working through that, then yeah, I, I would be heavily focused on revenue generating content that it looks like competitors are going after or questions that we've gotten from readers customers that we haven't yet answered correctly on the blog then it's it's something else too where if there's no like help center or knowledge base for existing customers and everyone who signs up is leaving after a month or two because they don't know how to use the product i think you could learn a lot from just actually sitting down and interviewing people and maybe you know zoom calls for today but just talking to them and hearing what their experience is like using the product and Hopefully, being able to interview some customers who've also left and actually churned out, hearing why they did that. I think there could be a lot of insights as far as just ways that educational content could help support them and get them to those major early milestones after sign up that they feel successful enough with the product that they don't leave. But yeah, it it is hard to tell though, because sometimes the product itself can be the problem and no amount of
0: educational content can help. It's going to be good. Absolutely. Last question then for today on this is like, what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you've learned through your experience that you wish you knew when you got started with your career?
1: Man, I do think that I was late to realize the importance of educational content that doesn't serve a revenue goal. And I know this is something we've talked about a few times already, but I wasn't publishing even anything on my own blog, let alone for my clients and jobs and stuff that didn't have a super clear SEO keyword, make money through this exact uh, pathway. But I think that as far as like long-term relationship building, so much value can be placed on just educational content that doesn't ask people to buy anything and ideally answers questions that people already have who've you know, been to your site, they're on your email list, they're existing customers. And we did this a lot at close, actually, where we would every quarter, we would regularly do video calls with customers and just ask them how their experience with the product is. And we got so many content ideas out of these calls with them, we would come up with stuff for the blog, that's, you know, more public facing for anyone, but we would also come up with really good help desk articles to do or video tutorials to film and And we would do webinars regularly too, where we take Q&As from customers. So I think a lot of these like softer content mediums that aren't like super revenue focused can provide so much unexpected long-term value for the business that it's easy to just not even think about them because they don't make you money today or next week. But it's what keeps people around too.
0: I think I love what you said as well in terms of like, It's building a relationship building. It's like another opportunity for you to like provide value, to strengthen that relationship you have with the customer. And ultimately like people are going to stick around if they feel they've got a good relationship, they've got trust, like you've earned that trust through all the great content uh, that you put out, all the ways you try to help them with their problems they have. Yeah.
1: And people care to understand like the people behind the product that they're working with too. That's been something I've learned over time is that Lots of, especially, let's say, like small business owners and people that are at smaller companies, mid-sized companies, like they, they really do care to know that they have a real human on the other side of the product they're using that'll reply to their email or answer their help ticket with, without just a copy and uh, paste macro and, and bring some real humanity to the conversations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah there's humans at the end of the software, building it and using it. And we shouldn't forget the connection between the two. It's been awesome having you today, Ron. Really appreciate you spending the time joining the show. Is there any sort of final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of? How can they keep up to speed uh, with your work?
1: Yeah, I'm blogging virtually every day on my site now. It's just ryrob.com. And I'm really focused on blogging advice these days. So I'm tackling the A to Z of everything about blogging content marketing.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes blog posts and more subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm also don't forget to subscribe to our show on itunes google play or wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have any feedback good or bad i would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm lastly but most importantly if you enjoyed this episode please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.